This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first lesson is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in the bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading today comes from Psalm 40 and can be found on page 446 of the Pew Bibles. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the, from the desolate pit out of the weary dog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your faults towards us. None can compare with you. Were I to, to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, here I am. In the scroll of the book it is, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I've not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I've spoken your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. But do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. For evils have encompassed me without number. My iniquities have overtaken me until I cannot see. There are more than the, more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let all those be put to shame and confusion who seek to snatch away my life 
Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my heart, my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, but may, all, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, speak to us through your scriptures. Give us minds to welcome your word and wills determined to follow. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, please uh, keep that second reading open, especially the, uh, the first dozen verses of Psalm 40. Some people are grateful and uh, some people are not. About 50 years ago, a friend of mine was uh, the, uh, the new minister in the new Western Australian mining town of Dampier, where the company, uh, the mining company owned all the houses and everything in the town, uh, and people moved in, but there were no letterboxes. And uh, so one day the company provided a letterbox to every, every house in town on a pole stuck out at the front of their house. And a lot of people said, oh, good on them. But there were others who said, why haven't they provided locks? Some people are grateful and some people are not. When I was a brand new minister, the church youth group held a dance and about 100 teens turned up, uh, came in and paid their money and then some drunk boys were amongst them. This was not good. So I drove the drunk boys home one by one. The first one's mother met us at the front door and began to protest that her son wouldn't be drunk when he suddenly threw up massively and only the gauze door saved her. <laughs> at the next home, a young child opened the door and the father glanced up from his lounge chair and uh, when I explained his son was drunk, he thanked me for bringing him home, pointed down the corridor and said, his is the second room. And he turned his attention back to the television. Two days later, the first boy with his father called in to apologise, but I never heard from the second family. Some people are grateful and some are not. Well, what category would you put yourself in? Are you a grateful person? And in particular, are you grateful to God or do you take him for granted? In Psalm 40 that we're looking at, the, uh, the fourth of our psalms in the season of Advent, uh, looking at the, uh, the message there and how it points forward to Christ, we find King David certainly is grateful. In verse 1, as you can see, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Well, now, the first time I read that, I just imagined patiently waiting. That's like you've just missed the bus and you've got to sit there for another 15 minutes till the next one comes. Bored, killing time. Is that patiently waiting? That's not what David is talking about, nothing like it. For instance, uh, a couple of psalms before, he says, I am utterly spent and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Lord, my longings are known to you. My heart throbs 
My strength fails me. My friends and companions stand aloof. Those who seek my life lay their snares. But it is for you, O Lord, that I wait. As he says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. In Psalm 39, we come across this. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will keep a muzzle on my mouth. You can imagine what's happened in the past. I, I was silent and still. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. The fire burned and then I spoke with my tongue. And now, O oh Lord, oh, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. That is, I waited patiently for the Lord in the midst of catastrophe. And it paid off, as you see in verses 1 and 2. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Can you feel his relief? that The danger, the stress, the catastrophe has passed. He's come into a safe place. And so in verse 3 he says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Deep relief and gushing joy. Now over the years David experienced many terrors from the occasional lion or bear when he was a shepherd boy, from Goliath in their one encounter, from unhinged King Saul's assassination attempts, from the Philistines who sought revenge and finally from his own son's plan to do him in. David was very acquainted with terror. What terror had he escaped this time that led to Psalm 40? Well, who knows? But he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit. This was David's regular experience over and over again. Well, why was he so fortunate compared to the rest of us? Well, he knew God had chosen him to be the next king and he'd heard from God via the prophet Nathan, I will give you rest from all your enemies. You will lie down with your ancestors when your days are fulfilled. That is... You'll see out your time. You'll reach being what was for then an old man. These dangers will pass. That's the promise. And so he's waiting in the midst of each catastrophe for the Lord to step in. One clear example that we have of his waiting patiently for the Lord to act was when, as a young man, long before he became king, he was wildly popular with the people, but not with the current monarch, King Saul. Saul had grown intensely jealous of David. He attempted to murder him in the palace. So David, with a number of supporters, fled into Israel's outback. The king and his standing army came in hot pursuit. David's chances looked very slim indeed. He and his gang once hid inside a deep cave and his pursuers were almost onto him. And then the king entered the cave alone came close to David in the dark for what he wrongly assumed was a private toilet stop. David did not for a moment consider killing the unsuspecting defenceless king. 
David resolutely believed that if God wanted to remove his anointed king, then it was up to God to do it. David would never do it. His men, of course, could not believe that he'd missed his chance. But he had, on purpose, out of faith. David waited patiently for the Lord. Despite the fearful time of being hunted, that, had, that he continued to endure over and over for years. When the king was told how his life had been spared in the cave, he was deeply ashamed and stopped the pursuit for a short time. Maybe this was when David composed Psalm 40 and sang, He heard my cry, he drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock and he put a new song in my mouth. <clears throat> We too have had a wonderful rescue, but not from death in battle or from tsunami or volcano or flood or bushfire or car crash or mugging or home invasion or illness. Escape from these sorts of disasters was the type of thing that David expected and got because he was the king of a nation that had been promised a physical land that was both protected and productive. That was the old arrangement or what we call the Old Testament between God and Israel. We have a different promise, one that's not limited to this earth, one that superseded and replaced the promise that David understood and trusted, about which St Paul wrote, what was set aside came through glory that's the old one, but much more has the permanent come in glory, the new arrangement brought by Jesus. Well, David will share in what we share, but he did not know it. He only knew of this world's blessings, but they were enough for him to trust and wait patiently. Our rescue has four fabulous features. <clears throat> one is the promise of forgiveness for every sin. How essential is that? Years ago, some soldiers had dreadfully bullied another soldier and one drunken night they murdered him. Forty years later, my informant still groaned under the guilt of not having reported the killing. Forty years later. For years he tried to bury his guilt through drink and now his liver was on its last legs. We all desperately need forgiveness because guilt spoils this life and condemns us in the next. But we are forgiven. It is part of our rescue. Feature number two of our rescue, fellowship with the Father. He's the father, we are the children. With sin forgiven, we are at the door of an intimate closeness that comforts and delights as he leads and teaches. This is the peace that passes all understanding, available to every believer. The third fruit of our rescue, the third result of our rescue is the fruit the forgiven believer is also given the Holy Spirit who goes to work deep inside our character, growing Jesus' thoughts and strength so that we grow more and more like him, more and more ready for heaven, more and more 
do we experience the fruit of faith, the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Forgiveness, fellowship, fruit and future. There now awaits us a future that sounds wonderful, though difficult sometimes to get our heads around. Can you imagine yourself with no character flaws, no selfishness, no resentments, no unreliability, no dishonesty, transformed to be like Jesus? And in an experience where there's no sickness or death and no boredom, but rather that deep contentment of being God's friend and companion. Well, this is your rescue. Forgiveness, fellowship, fruit and future. Are you thankful for your rescue? Really? David certainly was for his. In verse 9 we read, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I've not restrained my lips. I've not hidden your saving health within my heart. And he's not only announced and that God saved him and rescued him, but he's so enthusiastic. Verse 5, look, you have multiplied your wondrous deeds towards us. Were I to tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Whichever of his great escapes David is broadcasting about, he is directing all the praise to God. He is totally happy about giving all the glory to God because he knows that God has worked his rescue. And God works our rescue. But it is here at this place that David then expresses a really phenomenal truth. Whether he discovered it here or earlier, nobody knows, but here is where he expresses it. In his excitement at what God has done for him, he is so overcome with emotion, admiration, amazement, gratitude, humility. It's as though he's in front of God, eye to eye, sharing their delight and exhilaration at this great escape. And it's in that experience that seems the penny drops. He realises this is real worship. This is loving God with all his heart. This is the height of being alive. This is, and he spontaneously, it brings forth because he can't hold back. Verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. He is so overwhelmed by what God has done for him, he eagerly wants to do anything God asks. He is so fired up. And it hits him. This is so unlike normal worship. All those hundreds of sacrifices that he's been to in his life, serious, costly, precisely what God had laid down for his people to do way back in the days of Moses, 300 years before, Sacrifices that reminded every Jew that sin mattered and had to be paid for. Sacrifices that were solemn and important, but that often were uninspiring and formal and just habit, leaving his heart untouched. But this experience, this excitement, this thrill, this explosion of joy and commitment in his heart, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. 
Well, there's no comparison between the two. Verse 6, his conclusion, sacrifice and offering you do not desire. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Well, actually, God had required those sacrifices. But David was sure now that in comparison to his present experience of overwhelming gratitude and love, the sacrifice experience felt next to nothing. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Overstatement, but there's a great truth in it. And now Jesus has told us today to be baptised, to join in communion, to follow him who, we read, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. So, of course, we do those things. But they too can be formal and uninspiring. We can take part in them and not really get engaged. Our minds can wander off and we can seem to come out of church no different to what we went in, just like David at a sacrifice. What changed David? Remembering God rescuing him. What can change me? Remembering God rescuing me. Counting my blessings carefully, one by one. Forgiveness, fellowship, fruit, future. This is so good to do before I come to church so that these memories come flooding back at the various parts of the service and I can genuinely give thanks and be lifted up. My worship grows a lot more to be like David's. And when Jesus read Psalm, read Psalm 40, what message did he get? Well, after his resurrection, there are several accounts in the Gospels of Jesus going over the Old Testament scriptures, pointing out to the disciples he's with at the time how those scriptures spoke about him and showed how the Messiah had to die and rise again. And Psalm 40 may have been one of those scriptures. The writer of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews thought it very likely because he saw verse 6, sacrifice and offering you do not desire, as God announcing the end of the animal sacrifice period. And that was because the real sacrifice had come, that is, Jesus himself. That writer can see Jesus, the descendant of David, taking on David's words. In verse 7, Here I am, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. That is, the old sacrifices now end and I, Jesus, am to step up. Here I am to do your will and be the new and real sacrifice. The Hebrews writer noted, Oh, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then concluded, God abolished the first, that's the animal sacrifices, in order to establish the second, Jesus' sacrifice. Animal sacrifices were just a fill-in, a shadow, until they were replaced by Jesus, the true sacrifice. Only Jesus could do that. And pouring over Psalm 40 may well have helped Jesus get to the point of knowing 
that the cross was the father's calling for him. Since between listening to his mother's story of his birth, reading his scriptures, saying his prayers, Jesus knew that he was the Messiah, called to give his life as the ransom for many. Here am I, I delight to do your will. Indeed. So how grateful are you for your rescue that brings you forgiveness and fellowship and fruitfulness and future? That lifts you out of your desolate pit and miry bog? Are you grateful enough to list all your blessings often, giving your spirit the chance to grow excited so that you too, with David and with Jesus, will say, here I am, I delight to do your will, O my God. What a privilege. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.